While this podcast contains little to no explicit material, it is sprinkled with some uncensored swears. Listener discretion is advised. everybody good evening welcome to the one year anniversary of the omniplex we actually recorded our first episode a year ago today and uh yay yay yeah, it looks the, like we made it um yeah with the legendary dirk mags who has made the second uh installment of the sandman it's a great acclaim i still need to listen to it so oh, i have I just haven't had i'm sure it's great it's fantastic yeah it goes places like I've not I have not read the comics at all, but yeah, it goes places you would not expect. That was a great episode, and here we are, and we decided to go really easy on ourselves today because it is Halloween season, and one of the first casts that we did when we were in the film room, and it was just Albert and I, was we did a cast on horror, and we took it from the approach that Albert and I really weren't horror fans. Mm-hmm. A lot has changed in the last nearly nine years since we recorded that cast. And we're, we're approaching it from a very different perspective now. Uh, to say that our perspective on horror has changed, I don't think that's an, uh, a wrong statement, is it? No. It's, the last nine years have been a golden age for horror, to be blunt. I mean, you've had so much great stuff. In the last few years alone, you've had stuff like The Lodge, Vivarium, The uh, uh, Midnight Mass, which is fantastic, uh, Squid Game, really amazing fantastic stuff uh, after we recorded that cast another horror movie would win an oscar for best original screenplay uh, get out and a director who is very intimately linked to horror uh, guillermo del toro won best director and best picture that year as he should as he should the shape of water is not a horror movie it's actually the exact dead opposite it's one of the most beautiful films i've seen in the last 10 years but it, it's a masterpiece um i think you can even make the argument Parasite is pretty horror. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's unsettling. Yeah, you could make the argument for it, definitely. Uh, it's also a masterpiece, by the way. Seriously, South Korea, please keep giving us horror. Please, I, I beg you. And Bong Joon-ho is absolutely a horror veteran. Uh, the host is indisputable. So, we're looking at the genre now, and we are going to go so wide-ranging. We've got so much to get to, so... Zephyr, you've got the categories. Let's just go. All right. Let's take it from the very beginning with Silent Screams, horror films from the silent era. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, absolute classic. Hexen, the uh, witch documentary from the early days, um, also a genuine classic. The restoration itself is very beautiful. I, I first saw it on YouTube in kind of like a shitty print. And a whole lot of detail was lost, but since it got restored a year or so ago, you can see everything now. And it, it just goes to show how frequently women were tortured and ostracized for dabbling in a different 
belief system. Or just, you know, being able to swim, knowing math. Being able to read. Mm-hmm. Having, you know, multiple male lovers, possibly possibly female lovers. Having any sort of agency whatsoever. Exactly. The the omniplex. Fuck misogyny. Yeah. And then I've got two other picks here. Uh 1927's short prelude in which a man is listening to a Rachmaninoff piece and eventually has visions of himself uh, being buried alive. Yeah, not exactly as well known as most of the others that we'll discuss, but I've included it on here as sort of being ahead of its time with its use of superimposition and creating a a sense of dread, all in seven short minutes. And then there's also a 1928's version of Fall of the House of Usher, which is a lot more avant-garde than most of the other uh, iterations of the story, or really any other Poe story it's more in vain of something like uh cabinet of dr caligari but i highly recommend uh checking this one out uh what about y'all i'm gonna get the really obvious one out of the way like the most on the nose one that i can get out there but i mean it's got to be covered first of a nation oh man yeah no i I, there are i would rather run into traffic than watch birth of a nation um, no, um, yeah, Nosferatu is, I, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty well established that I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. And of course, Nosferatu is a serial numbers filed off adaptation to the point that it was sued and basically taken out of distribution. But, uh, you know, of course it still survived, um, uh, F.W. Murnau's classic. It's just it's so atmospheric. It's so unsettling. It plays up some of the worst implications of the Dracula story. Uh, it's hard to ignore those. Yeah, that 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 hook nose makeup is it's iconic, but yeah, you can't miss what's you you can't miss that. Uh, yeah, Germany had a real problem with anti-Semitism long before Hitler. Let's just be blunt. But it's a great film. Uh, it's atmospheric, it's spooky, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be coming back to Dracula uh, later in this cast. Yeah, unfortunately, I really, really tried on this one. I couldn't come up with any, just because most of the silent films I've seen in my lifetime were either comedy or, like, the exception is, of course, Metropolis, right? Uh, which I own. But yeah, I this is uh, I think the one that I, ha- I came up dry. <laughs> That's fine. Let's highlight the uh, Universal Monsters. Ooh, I'm excited to get to this one. I've got two: uh, Wolfman and the Invisible Man. I I didn't get around to uh, Invisible Man until last year or so, and I can't believe how high the body count was for that. It's a very modern film. Oh yeah. Special effects are still just one of a kind. Very much so. I haven't seen it, but I saw a clip from it the other day, like in uh, going to see Venom in theaters, and they were 
showing some of these in like fathom events and they showed a scene from the invisible man where he takes his like his wrappings off he's like oh that's pretty impressive <laughs> that's oh yeah that, that's spooky you brought the fathom events so um i'm i'm gonna jump in here and say that i actually was lucky enough to see um frankenstein and bride of frankenstein uh at a fathom event with a friend of mine uh amanda's uh, ex-roommate rodney was a huge huge is a huge horror fan maybe the biggest i know and Roddy, that was what he wanted to do for his birthday, was see those two movies in the theater. So I've actually seen those theatrically, thanks to Fathom. And nice. uh, that's why I love Fathom events. Because if bless I can Fathom. See, bless them. Because if I could see those two movies, which are James Whale's work is genius. Um, James Whale's work is it's one of a kind. Um, I'm so glad that he has the legacy he has now. That movie is... Oh, those are those are great films though the the original frankenstein is a pretty poor adaptation of the book yeah it's i didn't include it for my picks because it's really short when you think about it, it and it's only like it's barely an hour long i'm i'll be honest it's i only really bring it up because it, i saw it next to bride of frankenstein and i think bride is the true oh master. yeah yeah bride of frankenstein is beautiful yeah, yeah, it's Bride of Frankenstein is just one of a kind, and it's the one that it's bizarre because as much as Wales Frankenstein misses the point of the book, Bride of Frankenstein absolutely gets there one hundred percent on the nose. It's like, oh, oh, this time y'all actually stopped and really read the book, which is funny because that's its own thing, isn't it? Bride is okay. Here's what's bizarre: Bride is a sequel, except that they in that there's supposed to be a continuity carried over. Except that they completely jump centuries. Ha. Huh. Huh. It's weird. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, it's in it's in the lexicon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I know I know nothing about it. Uh, Albert, did you have any others? Because I did want to highlight one other. Mm, for Universal Monsters? Yes. Uh, this is a bit unconventional for this one, but does Mummy 99 count? Hmm. I'm going to say yes, because it's awesome. Because I know that, you know, I saw it. I didn't see it in theater, but I saw it as a kid like when it came out. Yeah, and it's one of those. uh, It scared me so bad (laughs) in the middle that like we were watching it at night. Like I had to, along with me me and my sister, we had to stop, (laughs) go go get a good night's sleep and then return to it in the morning. Which is funny because now that movie is mostly canonically thought of as the sexiest film ever made. Because <laughs> of Brendan Fraser. Well, because yeah. of the entire cast. Because the entire cast, yes. But yeah, no, because that, that one definitely had an effect. Um, it's a modern one. It's a modern yeah. one. Yeah, it, it's a modern universal one. And it's, like, ver- yeah. and, and it's very much indebted to the classic universal monsters feel. Mm-hmm. exactly like, it it, it yeah. understands i think stephen summers is oh i'm gonna get some, i'm gonna get some shit for this i think he's wildly underrated uh i like i like his mummy films i like van helsing uh i love his huck Finn. i think he's a i even liked his damn it i even liked his gi joe talented guy talented guy i did not know it's the same guy damn i do want to throw out a recommendation for another dracula movie but not the bella lugosi um i'm a big fan of the for those that don't know that they did this, rather than doing like a dub of the of the um, 
movie. They shot a Spanish language version of Dracula on the same sets at night for Mexican audiences. Huh. Um, there, there's, so there's a full second version of Dracula that exists. And it is my favorite adaptation of the story of all time in any media. Um, it is, it's one of a kind. Um, the, because what they did was, they basically worked from a translation of the same script, uh, but they had a different director, a different cast, and only the director was allowed to watch. Only the director and the guy that played Dracula watched the dailies. Everybody else was doing their own thing. It is a much more atmospheric film than the Todd Browning. It is a much more, it's a richer film. It's a more sensual film. Dracula is an unadaptable book, just to be blunt. It is, fundamentally, it's basically two or three different books in one book. I find a lot of classic 18th century novels are like that. It really deserves a trilogy because otherwise it's, it's kind of, and so what you wind up with is what you have here, which is where the story has definitely been chopped up and remixed to make a film, but it's a very good film and the acting in it is fantastic. Highly, highly recommend this one. It's very easy to find too. It's on Tubi. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zephyr, did you get to watch it? Uh, No, no, I was, uh, primarily focused on getting some other films knocked off. I do. I highly recommend it. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's really well acted, and again, it's just drenched in atmosphere. Um, and it's also longer than the American version by about ten to fifteen minutes, even though they're basically working with the same script, because the pacing is just different and it's more languorous, as they say. I have a small story. On this one, I don't know if I've told it on the cast before, but it's from one of my, uh, uh, like my first film professor, Todd Norris. Hey, Todd. He told me a story of seeing uh, Dracula, like just as a kid, and um, it like having a profound effect on him. He he said, oh, yeah, like one, one of the things that struck me is his green glowing eyes. And everyone he told that to went, wait, it's it's black and white. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, no, I swear to God, he had green eyes. Like, no, no, n- no, that's impossible. And so like his whole life is just like, what, <laughs> why do I remember this then? Like, I know my memory is not false. Why do I remember him having green eyes? And then he would see an article in his adult life that, uh, detailed how on some prints they would, like take the film and like frame by frame uh, do like splashes of color. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. On the celluloid. So saw that and went justification. I fucking knew it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I had to share that. It's <laughs> very cool. Next category. A uh, creature feature horror films that involve uh, any kind of creature running amok. Oh, this one's ripe. Oh, very much so. There, There's a lot that you can pick from, but... And a lot uh, that transcends categories, too, so... It does. I picked a select few just because of this. Like, on this on this one. Yeah. Uh, Island of Lost Souls. That's my first one. The, uh, the first adaptation of The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells. And the one that spawned two songs primarily, Oingo Boingo's No Spill Blood. 
and the more iconic song, Devo's Jocko Homo. It's where we have, are we not men? And then, and then what is the law? No spill blood. And just, it, it's beautiful. It's super atmospheric. Charles, Charles Long gives a stunning performance as Dr. Moreau. And it's it's got a lot of gay undertones when you think about it. That was, that was going to follow one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. Because, like, you have him holding this whip and threatening these creatures with the House of Pain and just him commandeering it it's like oh my gosh that's yeah it's super it's kind of racy even in a even as a pre-code film but it's also very beautiful too especially the makeup like the makeup done for the for morose creatures is it it's been unequaled like, I, I've seen the 70s adaptation of The Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Is it's that not... the one with Marlon Brando? No, that's no, the 90s, and we're just that's not going to talk about it. Oh, God. Yeah. I I haven't seen the 90s version. I'll that's, get around to it. That's the only one I've seen. <laughs> so yeah, if, if you're going to watch a version of The Island of Dr. Moreau, watch Island of Lost Souls. There you go. It, mm. It's really brief, too. It's less than 80 minutes uh this category is the one and only hitchcock pick of mine and that's the mm-hmm. birds of course the birds yeah the birds, the the birds. birds. <laughs> yes that was great. yeah absolutely absolutely terrifying practically no score whatsoever to tell you how to feel it's mm-hmm. intentionally what, so Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. When the attack yeah. scenes happen, you're there with the birds. You're blindsided, yeah. Pretty much. It's my personal favorite Hitchcock film. I also have Them, the giant ant movie. Of course, that has to be on there. Yes. So talk about the special effects still looking pretty phenomenal. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's the best of the giant insect subgenre. And one of the few films that I can attribute to uh, my father introducing me to. So thanks, Dad, for that. Uh, yeah, damn, damn good uh, special effects. And also the, the chirping that the ants do. You just can't forget it. And then my final film in this category would be Gremlins. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was going to have Gremlins come up in several categories. So let's just agree that Gremlins is exactly as good as it's promoted as, and maybe a little bit better. Oh, hell yeah. It was uh, uh, introduced to me by my father as a comedy. <laughs> a and, dark comedy. And it is. It, it lived up to that, certainly. I love Gremlins. Albert? Okay, Creature Feature. So for mine, yeah, Gremlins was at the top. Uh, the Howling. Ooh, good one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. John Landis. Yeah, that was kind of introduced to me as a comedy. And uh, it's fun. I also recommend, if you can find it, uh, uh, Dirk Mag's radio version. Yeah. 
is really good. I like I think I consulted our chat on this one because I was bouncing back and forth on what to include in this category. But it the uh, 2017 and 2019 films, respectively. Eldritch Abomination. Yeah, which I just kind of count as one unit. But yeah, just just because, you know, he is a creature. <laughs> that they have to stop and he has a he does indeed have a final form like dragon ball z uh, so but yes it definitely counts uh it follows okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't know if i've seen that but it's, yeah it's, it's yeah unsettling. it's very unsettling i have yet to see it there i mean i'll be blunt there are some films that I'm not going to mention only because that I legit haven't seen them yet, even though I definitely should like the exorcist. I haven't seen the exorcist yet. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to hold my time on that. until we get to the But yeah, it follows really good, really unsettling. It's one of those, what would you do in that situation? How would you live your life? Um, there's no easy answers to that. The Babadook. Okay. Mm-hmm. Count that one as a creature feature just because it's like, even though it's not shown on screen much, it's definitely like an animal like terror. Like, I know it, like, the themes represent, like, it, Baba Duke's rep- supposed to represent mental illness, etc. But mm-hmm. the way it's presented, whew, whew. Um, so I count that. And my last one on this particular list is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I got that one in a um like one of those things you buy at walmart like the three pack films that just kind of arbitrarily packs together three films you know to form like a makeshift theme Mm -hmm. like it came in uh, a pack with space balls and buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension that's a really great triple feature there that is yeah triple feature but yeah it came with killer clouds from our space which i hadn't heard of or seen it's like okay i'll i'll, I'll give this a try see what it's about and <laughs> it's a very very dark comedy like it's it's really funny but at the same time presented as like just the subject matter is like super serious they they put people into cotton candy cocoons for god's sake <laughs> yeah that's both terrifying and hilarious at the same time. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 my creature features. I'm going to continue my uh, tradition of being the guy who has the safest, most familiar choices, because there's two that I want to highlight. One is a TV show episode, but I think it's one of the scariest short films of all time. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet uh, from the Twilight Zone. Uh, just a perfect man versus monster thing. Even if the... Tr- even if the real monster was the actor playing the man. William Shatner? Yep. William Shatner. <laughs> so um, I, I'm surprised that nobody's done a parody uh, since he recently went into space. Nightmare at... 20,000 miles. 20,000 yeah. miles. Yeah, there you go. Um, exactly. And then the other one that I've got, and again, this is cliched as can be, but... I mean, come on, those raptor attacks in, Jura- in the first Jurassic Park are as good and scary as anything that has been made in horror ever. I mean, it's just, there are jump scares in that movie that hold up forever. 
So yeah, Jurassic Park definitely has to has to count as an all time great creature feature. Yeah. What's funny is until this cast, because you know, to prepare, like I, I just looked up a list of horror films and Jurassic Park appeared. I went, huh. I guess I never thought of that as a horror movie, but yeah. It's it's a it's an absolutely marvelous horror movie. It is, yeah. Oh, and I'm just gonna spoil it. Um we're gonna be getting back to Spielberg a lot as the, this cast goes on. I'm gonna have a few other films for him to bring up, so Okay. Next up, Schlock and Terror. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this and, is a fun one. Yeah. Uh Birdemic. Of course. Everything that's said about Birdemic has already been said, but come on. It, it's Birdemic. It's one of a kind. It is unlike anything else I've ever seen in my entire film-going career, and you, you have to experience it. Um, I'm going to tell you all a true story. I actually drove to another city to rent Birdemic because it wasn't available for rental in Little Rock. So I drove to another city just to rent it when it came out on DVD. And I watched it hmm. unriffed. Oh, you oh, poor dear soul. God. You poor soul. Yeah. I, I've seen it both ways, or at least any way possible. And, uh, yeah. it. I mean, honestly, just get a few friends together and watch Birdemic. Mm-hmm. It's best with other people. Because it really it's is. almost... It's unbearable to watch alone. <laughs> it it's the most watchable of uh, Nguyen's films. Because yeah, I have seen Julie and Jack and... Uh, oh, God. You've gone outside the Birdiverse? Oh, oh yeah, of course. Oh, and, and, uh, and I have seen Birdemic 2. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Birdemic is the most watchable of his feature-length films. Mm. Which is not saying much but it's the most watchable and the most well-known. Yeah. That's very scary. Um, <laughs> yeah. I also have uh, the giant spider invasion. I feel like this is really going to be us going very heavy on stuff that's been riffed or uh, on MST3K, and I'm great with that because I'm so glad you brought that one up. I saw the, uh, in, in the before times, I saw them do this live and I had not seen the original episode, so I'm just like, okay, they're going to give this one another go. Let's see what this one really is. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually think I actually think their second run at it is better than their first, uh, truthfully. I think because they had a little bit more freedom to get into just how depraved and sick the movie is in times... Uh, seriously, uh, there is something really wrong about how the movie handles women. That's just unsettling. I mean, that's going to be a running theme in this yes. cast as well. Yes, it, is. it is. About three entries in here. Uh, one, of course, is, you know, have to get out of the way, Troll 2. Yes. Yes. Iconic. I've, oh, it's great. I've only seen it once, and I saw it rift. I've seen it over and over again in every variation. <laughs> I f yes, but I feel like I've seen it multiple times just because I own the um, uh, the documentary on it, the uh, best worst movie, and that one I've seen 
so many times. That's the one that I really go back to more than anything else because that's just such a feel good. Oh, it's so fun. And it includes like a uh, generous amount of clips from the movie itself. So I feel like I know it intimately. But yeah, Troll 2. That's a good one. One from the MST3K canon that I've visited multiple times uh, is uh, Merlin Shop of Mystical Wonders. Which just got a re-riff this year, uh, which is... Yeah. Both which riffs I, are fantastic. I need to I need to pick that up. Uh, oh, the great. Yeah, because I'm sure the re-riff has, like, you know, some some uh, stuff cut from MST3K yeah, as far as, like, the film. Yeah, the actual film. It does. Uh, um, it's really funny. It is. And that movie is such a weird... Like, who is this for kind of vibe? Like, it's trying to be a family film, but includes, like, a cat getting set on fire. <laughs> a doll that's trying to kill people. <laughs> They're trying to kill everybody. But yeah, that, that's that's a good one. And there's one that uh, Tab and I watched last year just because the premise is outrageous. Uh, Velocipaster. Okay, you, you too? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It- yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is. <laughs> I, it, yeah, it very much is its own thing. Yes, it's it's so ridiculous. Like when you actually get into it, and like when the like transformation happens, it's um kind of a what am I watching? This is I don't know whether to laugh or <laughs> yeah, no. It's... You laugh, you laugh, but. Because the like the creature effects are so damn cheap, so so damn cheap, and it's kind of uh, it's hard to describe. You're right; it is very much its own thing, but it's it's fun, and of course, it's uh, for those unfamiliar. Like I think it's available just for free on uh, yeah. Tubi. Yeah, yeah, that's how I saw it. Yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, and it's um. It's exactly what it sounds. It's a it's a preacher that turns into a velociraptor. Sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. Sure. So it's it's very much worth a watch. It's so cheesy and just it's 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 great. It's a journey. Well, I'm I'm gonna use my time to highlight a movie that just came out on VOD. And that is the Rift Tracks Live of Hobgoblins. Nah. Um, now, putting aside that I think the original episode is the best MST3K episode of all time. And, and I do. And I wouldn't say this is as good. Of course it's not. You're really going at high material there if you're better than Mitchell. But uh, this, is, this is a really fantastic riff because what they did was they got an absolutely pristine print of the film. It looks great. And... As you watch it, you really start to realize, oh, they actually really like this film. They, they, they get that it's comedy. They get that it's stupid. They get that it's silly. And they really are having fun with it. Now, Rick Sloan has done other films that are utterly unwatchable. Uh, Zephyr and I have both seen Blood Theater. Yeah. Blood Theater is practic- it It's so goddamn boring even as a with film. The, even with the riff, which is great. They, they were killing with the riff. But it's almost unwatchable. Yeah, it's so boring. Hobgoblins is a blast, though. They uh, and the filmmakers 
uh, loved the fact that it was featured on uh, MST3K. They asked. They actually Rick Sloan actually asked them to look at one of his films. They rejected uh, okay. it. They rejected it. They said, "Nah, we don't really like this one." But they were nice, and they looked at his other stuff. They found Hobgoblins. And they were like, "This is perfect for us." Um, yeah, and they would make yeah Hobgoblins too, and uh, use the theme that they wrote for the in the it. episode. I love, I love it. Um, I love it. And and yes, they do. Uh, they do do the Hobgoblins song, uh, before the riff, uh, which is great. Uh, just getting to sit in the theater that I saw Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and like all these grand towering masterworks and to be sitting there and watching this was great. Um, I really, I try to go to all of the theatrical riff tracks. I love them so much. Um, uh, I did see Jacko last year and uh, that was fantastic. I highly recommend that one, but really Hobgoblins live. It's worth watching just as a feel good experience of, just getting to re-embrace something that you loved in the past and it's still hilarious. And again, the film itself is, you realize it's pretty entertaining. I think the moment that it clicked for me of, Oh, there's actually some good stuff here. And they're actually genuinely funny with this is when um, you're, you're listening to the punk song in the middle of the film. And then you realize when you listen to it in isolation, Oh wait, this actually kicks ass. (laughs) This is actually a straightforward kick-ass song. Uh, this is actually really awesome. That whole punk club scene is a trip because it's the moment where number one, there's two actors in the film that actually went on to do a lot of better things. Uh, the bouncer is uh, Dwayne Whitaker, who would go in on to be in Pulp Fiction of all things. Ha! And uh, the MC is the great voice actor Darren Norris, who has been in everything. So. Yeah, I'm going to give some love to Hobgoblins. Uh, also, I really love The Brain That Wouldn't Die. Uh, that's... Okay, I was going to bring that up if you weren't. Oh, no, I was absolutely going to bring that up because that thing's a stone classic. Also, it's actually scary. Like, it's actually unsettling to me. And it's all on the performances. And it's great MST3K, too. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, Mike's uh, introduction. I kind of love that Joel's exit and Mike's intro are both iconic they're they're both essential episodes you not just because oh it's that importance of that it's that it's 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 right it's right that they get those you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because joel's exit was mitchell right joel's exit was freaking mitchell and so they both have absolute all-time great episodes so yeah hard love to that 70s our picks for the decade. I've got a number. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. Yes. Suspiria. Gotta have some Argento. Oh, yeah. Yeah, at the very least. It, it's one of the most beautiful horror films that I've ever seen. Like, all of that vibrant color, the kills, the score, the atmosphere. So fucking perfect. Eraserhead. No surprise there. The Omen. My uh, my friend Sebastian uh, high fives you from afar. He loves Yay. that one. Yeah. Also by Richard Donner, who did Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Yes, and Superman. Uh, the Brood. Cronenberg. We're hitting all the highlights here. Yeah, and uh, How Sue. Solid picks all around. And honestly, 77 was a damn good year for horror, because he had... 
Suspiria, Eraserhead, Rocky Horror, and How Sue. It it's astonishing, really. Excellent, excellent picks. Yeah. Uh, what about y'all? Mm, so uh, the only thing I have on mine, because all uh, my decade ones are mostly in the eighties, but for seventies, I got the. Uh, that decade's version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yes. Adult Coffee. right. With, yeah, with Donald Sutherland in lead role. And I love this one kind of wraps up into the original version just because just because of the thread that goes through it. Actually, it goes into three movies. But the, uh, the original has... I can't think of his name. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy, thank you. I just watched him in UHF a couple nights ago. Yeah, it has him in the main role. And at the beginning of the 70s version, he is running through the streets going, they're coming, they're coming. (laughs) So the 70s one could, like you could argue that it's a sequel to it, even though it's a remake. But yeah, it's that iconic uh, thing at the end, you know, massive spoilers for the film. But yeah, the main character does get turned. The main lady, you know, is walking down the street, sees him and goes, you're alive. And then he like points the finger and, you know, does the fit the. <laughs> like there's an unaffected one. Get her. So that's that's a good one. I really love it. And the reason I say that threads through three movies is because Looney Tunes back in action. Kevin yep. McCarthy is back. And yeah, like he's carrying the pod <laughs> from the fifties version. They're coming. They're coming. Bless you, bless you Joe Dante. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I love just the way that you know threads through multiple films, and uh, just the film itself is also a really great adaptation slash remake. And uh, Donald Sutherland is really great in it. It's his iconic role. Uh, that's uh, that's my only seventies entry. I've got three. Um, I'm going to put The Exorcist here because it absolutely must be here. I mean, The Exorcist, we t- I talked more about it on the last cast that we did because I had seen it uh, theatrically. Um, it is it is every bit as good as it's claimed to be. It is uh, it's another horror movie that actually won an Oscar uh, for Best Adapted Screenplay. It's genius. It deserves its reputation. Uh, and my other two are films that uh, are by the same director. Uh, one is a TV movie. Uh, Duel is my first film that I yes. want to talk, talk about. Duel is Duel is a TV movie, which, first of all, it's working from a script by Richard Matheson, who is one of the greatest writers of all time in any medium period. He is one of my favorite writers. And it is an absolutely perfect script. It is a straight shoot of a story. It's just intense. It is the simplest premise. A man cuts off a trucker, and the trucker chases him for the rest of the film. What is notable about this film, of course, is that it is the debut of Steven Spielberg. And it is Spielberg desperate to prove to the world everything he can do. It is this guy just absolutely trying all this camera stuff, just absolutely, even though it's a TV movie, this guy is basically saying, look, you're going to pay attention to me. It very much plays like he's auditioning for the rest of his career. (laughs) <laughs> and he nailed it. He nailed it. This is a hell of a film. If you've never seen it, it is it's just unsettling. And again, 
because you have this utter grand master of a filmmaker working at that first moment where he was just desperate to prove something, it's ambitious. It is tremendously well made. Um, Dennis Weaver is just phenomenal in the lead role. Again, it's a TV movie, but I watched it on my TV on a really good, big, high-definition version, and it looks great. Uh, It's gorgeous. Um, Another film that I can attribute to my father. That's cool. That's cool. And so if I said Spielberg, obviously y'all know what my next film I'm going to say is. The movie that he got because of this. The Terminal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 because we did a full cast on it. I'm not going to spend too long on it. And also, it's a movie that we all know is great. But yeah, Jaws is Jaws is pretty damn scary. Yeah, there are shots in Jaws that are just the most nightmarish things. And the thing that's so scary about Jaws is very little of it is at night, aside from the opening sequence, which is classic and iconic. Just, mm-hmm. but very little of Jaws is. At night, it's almost all daytime shots. And again, what is done with the camera in this movie is just, there's the shot where everyone's just being very casual in the foreground and you just see see the damn shark swimming up behind the boat. And because everyone is so casual and there's no music cues to tell you, it's just, it's all on your eye. It's Jaws is, it's, it's classic. Um, and again, it's another one where the performances really do all the work. It's it's not controversial to say that Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfuss are great actors. Uh, yeah. And of course, Robert Shaw's monologue that he wrote himself. Really? He wrote that monologue himself? Yeah, he did. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah, there's a bit that sticks out to me in the first Jaws DVD release where uh, Spielberg talks about how he kind of learned the minutia of uh, basically how to make a horror movie. And how to how to time your scares and uh, like when the shark you know shows up uh, later, specifically the scene where he's dishing chum into the water. He's like, "You try several some of the shit," and, he, and the shark goes, "Ah!" Apparently, for earlier audiences, that got a bigger scare, but because he decided he wanted to fit one more in there beforehand, like the he did a um, shot like a scene where like they're diving underwater and like they find the body. It's a jump scare. And I guess that moment for audiences like lessened the scare for later because they're more on their toes. Yeah. Again, real controversial take here, but Spielberg's grasp of how film works is just, it's unparalleled. Oh yeah. Real hot take there. I know (laughs) he is. He is a genius all around. He He is. I admire him a lot. 80s. A lot of stuff to pull from here. For me, I have Bree Animator. I love that movie. I have the novelization on my phone. Nice. Very nice. It actually is in print because a company has the rights to it. It's actually in print. Yay. Uh, Videodrome. Again, no surprise there. I, I guess partially, if you... If you want to see James Wood suffer, then yes, by all means, watch Videodrome. But it's also just how sinister things can be used in, like, programming people. And, uh, well, the past five years have clearly shown that. Killer Clowns from Outer Space, I I put it in my 80s category. Absolutely beautiful set design and aesthetic. 
Um, and then I also have Dead and Buried on here. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, very nice uh, slow burn, almost like a Twilight Zone episode. But the thing that got me to put it on this list was uh, Joe Albertson as the mortician who... Most people know him better as Grandpa Joe yeah. from ha. Willy Wonka. Oh, he's so not playing that here. Oh, hell no, he's not. No. Wow. Yeah. And it has one hell of an ending. It, it really does. And what he does with his performance is, again, why I put it on, on here as one of my picks. Uh, what about you, Albert? Mm, my 80s list. Well, I put Beetlejuice on there at the top of the list just because it's one I grew up with. I fully consider it a horror film. That's definitely a horror film. Indisputable. Oh, yeah. And it's been running on, I think, Freeform a lot this month. Mm-hmm. So I've seen it all the way through in bits and pieces. It's great. It has great uh, makeup effects. It is a pinnacle. It came out in, what, 87? It's a pinnacle of what can be done with like green screen and animation and makeup and just all sorts of craft coming together very beautifully in a very stylized form. And uh, I can't get over the fact that uh, I also watched the cartoon in the nineties and the cartoon was very different. Oh God. Yes. Yes. I picked up as a kid. Like these are very different universes. Very good though. Very good cartoon. Beetlejuice Gremlins, of course. I will go past it and say that it solidified the song Do You Hear What I Hear as creepy forever. And Bob's Burgers would also validate that later. Let's see, Evil Dead 2. Like, once upon a time, I did my trek through the Evil Dead series, having only seen Army of Dead. Or, or, excuse me, that's a different, that's a different movie. No, I haven't seen that one yet, but I've heard it's very good. Yeah. I need to watch it at some point. Army of Darkness, uh, the third one. And each one of those movies can be watched independently of each other, which is a weird thing to say, but it's very true because the second one's basically like a much hyped up remake of the first one and a more a more funny version. And yeah, Sam Raimi invented so many great like low budget camera techniques for the first one and just uh, carried it over into the second one. The Howling is also on there. Um, you know, Cook Clowns from Outer Space. Poltergeist. Oh, I'm so glad you got that one on there because that was going to make mine too. This is one I caught uh, on the DVR at my college. I went to it because you could like you could access the DVR from any computer on there. So I just watched it in the library in full daylight and surrounded by the safety of people, which is great because it scared the shit out of me. You know what's insane about Poltergeist is it's scary as hell. What's the kill count in the movie? Uh, you know, I think it's zero. It's zero. It's Yeah, that's it's, a good point. It's zero. It is a zero kill count movie. And it doesn't matter because it's scary as hell. Yeah, that's crazy. But the, I would see, I would finally see something that would overjoy me because uh, one of my favorite like TV Halloween specials is, of course, Treehouse of Horror, the original watched it this year is very iconic there's a shot in there that i did not know was from poltergeist but it's the house collapsing in on itself and uh yeah done through like of course a model with a bunch of strings tied to it and sucked into a huge vacuum and it's mind-blowing to watch you know of course you know 
slowed down <laughs> way way slowed down but yeah that shot alone is a great like just end to the film it's that's a good one and of course you know the last one on the list is little shop of horrors yeah you know, which we have talked about in detail at length mm-hmm. but that's on there mine is that uh one of them is going to actually segue into slashers for me because it's on both lists um but uh, I do really love John Carpenter's The Fog. If you haven't seen that, that's really great. Uh, it's really atmospheric. It's really funny. I just, I love it so much. And then uh, I also, it's not a good movie, but I'm really glad I saw The Keep anyway, because it's fascinating. This was Michael Mann's only foray into straight horror, aside from Manhunter, and I think you can argue that one. This is, it's so weird. It's such a mess of a movie about it. I know at least 30 minutes were cut out, and I think even more was cut out. It's barely functional as a film. It's all just bizarre imagery, and it does not have a DVD release. It doesn't have a release in anything beyond VHS. There's still a DVD of it out at the Little Rock Library system because someone made a bootleg of it. And donated it. And oh, donated. that's fantastic. It is. It is. I'm, I'm, and so that's how I saw it. And the one that's going to be kind of my segue one is... I've got to give it up for Freddy Krueger, my favorite horror movie. In fact, two years ago today is actually when I went and saw Nightmare on Elm Street in theaters. Um, I'm currently doing a five-part series looking at the books. I just, I love it because, and I said it in this, the real horror of Nightmare on Elm Street isn't Freddy Krueger. It's the circumstances that led to him. It's the fact that the baby boom failed. Wes Craven looked at the baby boom. He looked at his generation. He said, we had a chance to do something great and we pissed it away. We are terrible people. We need to be held accountable. And that's really what the horror of the film is. Uh, and of course, he would revisit this with uh, the people under the stairs. Uh, Craven makes a lot of really thought-provoking horror movies. When your most exploitation horror movie you've ever made is a remake of an Ingmar Bergman film, you're kind of highbrow. I did not realize that that's what uh, Freddy Krueger was all about. Well, well, not well, not the uh, nightmare on Elm Street. Austin was referring to a uh, Last House on the Left, which is a oh, remake of Virgin Spring. But that's why that's why I needed to see. I didn't know that was Wes Craven. Yeah, Last House on the Left is uh, Craven, and uh, it's uh, it's something. But Nightmare on Elm Street is probably my favorite of the stuff that he's done, just because Craven just had so much to say, and uh, the the movie still holds up. Robert England's performance is iconic for a reason. Everything about that movie is great. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. The the bed. The, the shot of the bed. Oh, it's, it's, even, it, it's beautiful. Even in 2019, looking at it 35 years after its release, Johnny Depp's kill. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. even knowing how they do it. You don't see the seams, the special effects in that movie. They were not working with a high budget, but the special effects are so amazing. And part of it has to come down to the fact that of course the makeup for Freddy was designed by, one of the greatest makeup artists of all time. I want to say this was a Kevin Yager build. It's it's fantastic. Freddy is an iconic character from the word go. If you watch the opening shots of the movie, it's almost as if it's like watching a superhero build their costume because you see him forming the glove. You see him building it. And it's so iconic. And the fact that this was how the character was introduced to the world, it's a case of, Craven knew what he had. He knew how iconic this was going to be. And he was right. That's why 10 years later, he was able to make a movie about how iconic Freddy was. And nobody went up to him and went, dude, you got an ego trip here. Nobody batted an eye. Nobody batted an eye because he was right. We've already covered New Nightmare. It's 
New Nightmare is amazing. Slasher films. I have only two on this one. Uh, Sleepaway Camp and Slumber Party Massacre 2. And I say the second one only because it's a lot more batshit. Because instead of like your usual killer on the prowl, it's this completely unhinged rock star who attaches a drill bit at the end of his guitar. And his musical number is, it, it's something you have to see to believe. That That's all I'm going to say about it. But yes, yeah, Sleepaway Camp also has some pretty good kills in it as well. So uh, those are my picks. Sweet slasher. Well, I got uh, on this one, 2019's Us, Jordan Peele. Counted that just because it's, well, I mean, yeah, it's doppelgangers fighting each other. as people coming up from the earth just to be like, we're replacing you, slash, slash, slash. But yeah, that's that's a really good one. A lot to be said about that one. That one really kind of deserves its own cast focus. But watched... A uh, thing that came out a couple couple months ago on Netflix, uh, the Fear Street trilogy. That's a really good one. R.L. Stein, based on the R.L. Stein books, like definitely very R-rated, which you know surprised me. Yeah, it just makes it. It was made as a trilogy and makes a nice, fine, big, long story, and uh, just kind of shotgunned them in one night, and uh, that was nice. And let's see, the last one I have in here is one that just came out, Malevolent. I struggled to kind of put that into a category just because it's you know, I'm not going to get into spoilers because really the less you know about it going in the better yeah it counts as a slasher film there's a nice body count in that one but yeah those those are my slasher picks I'm gonna really kind of uh because we wound up adding a category something I was going to talk about in slashers I'm just going to save it for when we get to that category again I'm just going to reiterate that Freddy is the best um I don't think Halloween should have ever been a series. I think it's only ever really worked one time. And that's kind of about all that I've got to say really about that. Yeah, it was meant as like a anthology. Yeah, I wish it had been that because Halloween three is awesome. Yeah, I think that one in the era got uh, shat on a bit because it wasn't Michael Myers. And they were like, let's let's just take it in the direction it was supposed to go in the first place. And, you know, standalone movie. But I think now it's getting a lot of love for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Taking that direction and being its own thing. Home invasion category. I've got two films. Uh, I put us in, in this category. Ah, I wouldn't have thought of that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, because they do show up at, at the house initially. And then it all spirals from there. I also have the original Funny Games, which I know a number of people won't be able to stomach watching it since it's a little intense, but I personally find it to be brilliant as a treatise on, on violence and how we participate in watching the violence happen on screen and how culpable we are. Haneke would go on to remake it for American audiences with Naomi Watts pretty much beat for beat. And that one wasn't as well received as the original. So yeah, those are my picks. Alright. Uh, I only have one in this, but it's uh, Hush 
I flying again. Yeah, I didn't know that was him. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, hush about a deaf woman who has uh, her home invaded and how she deals with that and how, like, in in some cases, like, her whole setup because she's deaf, like, kind of works to her advantage. Won't say more. I just will say, like, watch watch the movie. It's it's really good and really, uh, it's a very tightly wound movie that really has no, like, nothing to throw out in it. I, uh... I really don't like this genre very much. I, I just, I'm going to be honest. This is one where I had to really rack my brains. And ultimately, the film that I'm going to throw on here, I, I'm more interested in kidnapping movies, if that makes any sense. So I'm going to throw on two kidnapping movies, um, actually, if, if that's okay with y'all. And that's going to be my answer. Because, I don't know, I, I generally find, like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of The Strangers. I'm not a big fan of just really anything like this. But there are two kidnapping movies from the last few years that I think are really pretty brilliant. Split, even with its extremely problematic DID stuff, I, I'm acknowledging that, but I'm sorry, the movie still is an absolute spine. It just, it gets to me. It's it's really tense, and I love it. James McAvoy is so good in it. And then 10 Cloverfield Lane. I think both of those are really great, single location, just intense you can't get out of the situation thrillers and those are ones that i really liked so th- those are my picks shall we get it into the horror comedy category yeah let's do it here okay i've got a number on here uh clue good one yes the original buffy the vampire slayer movie if only for the soul i i guess it's only to see uh peewee herman as a vampire oh my god yes I didn't know that was the thing in here. Yeah, and he's got range. It's because uh, like he works under uh, Rucker Hauer. I mean, the two of them alone, they do some pretty good performances. But I mean, yeah, of course we have to acknowledge. Yeah, you know, the ele- it's the big yeah. elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Whedon, yeah, parts of it work. It, it's not a perfect movie by any means because like you have uh donald sutherland as essentially giles except he's dressed up as like a more uh more polished version of jethro tall's aqualung character which i'm not sure why they went in that direction but okay of course the the dialogue is one of the more key aspects of the film and would later be essentially Joss's trademark in pretty much anything he's ever touched. But yeah, just watch it to see uh, Pee Wee Herman as a vampire. Whedon is the grand frustration that a lot of uh, my generation will have to deal with because as much of a scumbag as he turned out to be, he influenced us so much and the works. I'm sorry. I hate to say this. Uh, I'm, I'm going through uh Ian Desher's adaptation of uh, his Avengers scripts right now, and that he was that Desher was able to take those scripts and turn them into Shakespearean language is really a testament to how strongly those scripts pop. They're great pieces of writing, and I, I hate that, but yeah, yeah. But I interject. Uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I'm yes. pretty sure we were all going to bring that one up. Absolutely, it's on my list as well. 
Nice. Yeah. It's, I saw it theatrically, actually. You lucky bastard. Yes, I, I was lucky because <laughs> that thing absolutely killed in the theater. Zombieland? I dig it. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't have that on there. Freaky, the recent one. It's also a better Vince Vaughn horror film than Psycho 98 was. Well, yes, because it was actually made by a director who actually likes horror. Yes. I, I mean, aside from that, it's one of his better performances. Yeah, that's the weird thing. Is I heard so many of my trans friends were like, yeah, Vaughn actually really did a really good job of not making it a bad joke. Actually, yeah. Yeah. It also has some really good kills in it as well. Yeah, it it's one that's definitely lived up to the expectations of the trailer. Mm-hmm. Which is always satisfying to see. Yes. And then Roger Corman's A Bucket of Blood with Dick Miller as the uh, beatnik-turned-semi-serial-killer artist, but accidentally. It's only an hour long, but it's still pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see here. I think number one on my list on that is uh, Shaun of the Dead. Has to be. Of course. That's one that I remember watching the trailer for that and going, wow, this it's a comedy, but everything looks so good and like the genre. Uh, I gotta watch this. It didn't disappoint. And it would lead into, lead into a lifelong love for uh, Edgar Wright, which I can't wait for his next film, which looks like straight horror. Yeah, it's him finally doing straight giallo. I love it. Uh, yeah, Freaky was on there. Cabin in the Woods. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Again, again, we have to live with Whedon actually we being have a damn to. genius. We have to, unfortunately. But yeah, that one's eternal for just being a really good, really hilarious movie. You know, my favorite, I just have to say my favorite touch in that movie is that all of the characters are quote unquote miscast, except for the stoner. Right. And and the whole problem with him is that he was too much an actual stoner. <laughs> was he really? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what they say is that he was immune to the drugs because he had so much THC in him already. <laughs> so he was the real deal. He was an actual stoner who you'll notice through the movie. He's the one character who is looking around going, does anybody else think this is weird? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's because he's the one guy who's actually being himself. Mm hmm. <laughs> it's great i love that movie that is really great it's really well put together it's one that is great going in knowing nothing about it because that's what i did directed by drew goddard who wrote a movie that i've got later on my list uh, i'll say that yeah uh one that i found later in life is the frighteners Ooh. with pierre jackson yeah masterpiece uh i remember when it came out in 96 and thinking that's not my cup of tea that looks too scary for me then revisiting it and it's fucking hilarious and it's again so well put together pierre jackson is a master at story beale juice of course is on there army of darkness is on there gremlins killer clowns a lot of repeats but happy death day yeah this seems like a good place for us to to segue (laughs) to my list so that you and i can just both kind of mutually geek (laughs) on this one it's true. Well, let's save that for last then, because yeah. I have a few. I have a few more to get through. Because I want to talk that one hard. Yeah. So the babysitter. It's one that Tab showed me. It's uh, a duo of films directed by McG, and uh, it's it's a gem in its own right. It's pretty good. It's a lot of fun, especially the second one. Yeah, they're both on Netflix, and that's all I'll say on those. Little Evil. 
with Adam Scott. That one's funny. Uh, that one got recommended to me for years. And I finally saw it this past year. And uh, it's 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 a good fun little, you know, sit through the dead don't die. This was like a kind of semi first date movie for me, <laughs> which is a weird one for that claim. But uh, Tab and I kind of went on a, a pseudo date like before we got together on that one. It's very strange. It's Jim Jarmusch with Bill Murray and Adam Driver and uh, Tilda Swinton, of course. And it's just one of those where you just have to let it wash over you and go, what the fuck? What the fuck? Come on now, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, Tab and I still quote the uh, zombie lines because they, you know, in this universe, they say over and over the one thing that dominated their life. So for Iggy Pop, it was coffee. Carol Kane makes an appearance and hers is Chardonnay. That's yep, so every once in a while we'll quote the Chardonnay. <laughs> Death becomes her. Oh yeah. Yeah, Robert Zemeckis. That was also a little fun discovery that just put on one evening, you know, babysitting, uh or I should say dog sitting, my sister's dogs. That was a real fun one to discover and go. <laughs> and it's fun to see Bruce Wills with hair uh and do comedy. And my last one on the list, you know, before we get into Happy Death Day is uh, uh, this one kind of barely counts, but it counts. It's the theme. What we do in the shadows, the movie. I'm the weird guy in that I really did not like this movie at all. Oh, really? Uh, Aside from Taika Waititi's fantastic performance, I thought this was a really good idea for a short film that was an utterly unwatchable film. (laughs) Ah, <laughs> that said, my God, the TV show is utter genius. Oh, uh, the TV show is great. Yeah, the TV show, like uh, there's two episodes left and season three is really getting good. I haven't gotten to season three yet, but I've heard that they just killed with it. Oh, absolutely. Like first couple episodes, like while still great, like are a little bit of a rocky start, but oh, it's really getting really good. And I can't wait. In that in that same shared universe, I also also recommend uh, Wellington Paranormal, which is currently being aired on the CW. Like I guess there are already four seasons out in New Zealand, and they're kind of being drip fed a little bit to us. Like the first two seasons are out over here, so I can't wait for that to continue. And that's spun off directly from the movie. But anyway, yeah, that's the horror comedy. Take it away, Austin. Well, I have a weird relationship with Happy Death Day because. The trailer hit while I was, like, really having a very violent, nervous breakdown. Like, very violent. And I've even talked about this uh, on a blog entry. And so, when I saw the premise for this movie, I thought, that sounds like the most nihilistic thing on the planet. Why on earth would I want to watch a movie where the character gets killed over and over again? Now, you'll notice this is in the horror, that I'm talking about this in the horror comedy genre. Yes. Yeah, that's because this is not a horror, it is a horror film. But it's really a lot more a comedy, and it is a side-splittingly funny film. It's from Christopher Landon did uh, Freaky uh, after doing these two movies, uh, and he's got another horror comedy that he's working right now, though it's apparently much more of just a straight comedy. I was really hesitant, and then I watched this movie. I loved it so much that when the novelization came out, what it was was it was the novelization of the first and second movie in a single volume. Ha, nice. I immediately drove to Barnes & Noble and got it. And uh, it is sitting on my shelf. I love these movies. Uh, I love this and the second one. I think the second one is 
really good. They are fundamentally life-affirming films because fundamentally, the main character has to survive the films. She may have all manner of horrible things happen to her, but she survives and gets better for it. Tree is probably my favorite final girl of all time. Love, love, love these movies. Yeah. And the fact that the second one really takes a hard, hard turn into sci-fi. Yeah, the second one really is not a horror movie, even in the most. Yeah, no, it's really not. But it plays with the conventions of the first film so well. And that's what I like to call the the Back to the Future 2 effect. It's everything that I loved about that film. And I love that film. It is. And they even explicitly reference it in the movie. I love that. (laughs) They do. They put a bell on it real hard. They do. And, you know, there's talk of doing maybe a third one. I don't need it. I don't need it. This is good. I'm good. And and I actually did see the second one. Uh, Bizarrely enough, this is where this is going to get into all kinds of stuff. Um, I saw the second one because I had some time before my birthday weekend. And so I saw it as part of my birthday weekend, actually. And here, let's make the birthday thing theme of this movie even weirder. Uh, Christopher Landon's birthday is February 27th, which is my birthday. That's just a lot of weird coincidences there. There you go. Yeah, that's cool. See, I was destined to love these movies. Next genre? Uh, Next genre. Found footage. I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anyone here, but Blair Witch Project. The quintessential. Yeah. You can skip all the other Blair Witch movies. I've seen them all, and... uh, just stick with the original. It's a ridiculous idea to try and recapture. Oh yeah, it really is. The duology creep one and two. First one starts out with just kind of like a freelance filmmaker driving up to a cabin where this guy pretends that he's sick and he's dying and he wants to leave a like a film diary, but you know shit happens. And then the second one takes place after uh, the first one and confronts the killer as to why he did everything in the first one. So those two are actually really good. And then the Scooby-Doo project where they do a straight parody of the Blair Witch Project. And it's absolutely astounding with how close they, they keep to the beats of a Blair Witch Project, and one of the directors from this would later go on to give us the now iconic Adult Swim short, uh, Too Many Cooks. Hmm. Cool. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. That's really funny you should mention that because, you know, uh, Spotify recommended to me, yes, like, not yesterday, Friday, a, a 8-bit version of Too Many Cooks that somebody made. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really well done. It is. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah. It, it's still catchy after all this time. Uh huh. <laughs> it's very good, very funny, and very dark. I have just one in this one, and it's uh, the visit. The visit is so freaking good. Yeah, I forgot that The Visit was found footage, technically. And The Visit is very meta about its found footage. It's about how the act of filming something is in, inherently makes it false in some way, because people perform. It's, it's Shyamalan really throwing some fists as to what's real and what's not, and 
then of course the twists start to hit and you really have to think about it yeah and that was his uh his return to form film yes mm-hmm. uh produced by you know jason blum which we have to we have to give some lip service to jason blum so much of the stuff we've talked about on this list has been produced by him the creep films were his i'm going to talk about film uh in my set but yeah uh he has revitalized the genre for the modern era but yeah the visit was real fun and i enjoyed it very much i've got two um one is a trilogy and y'all can discard the rest of these and hey christopher landon comes back into these uh with the second and third films but you have to give some love to the first three paranormal activity movies because I think those form a really great, tight unit of found footage. I've seen all three theatrically. I think they're all three really good, good, scary movies, really well made, uh, and I love them. I haven't bothered with any of the films after that because I didn't need to. But those three films are a good, tight unit, and I recommend those. Of course, I'm going to get to Cloverfield. It's one of my favorite films, and it is tremendously unsettling. It is horror on a very grand scale. I mean, I just have to. Next category is Across the Pond, International Horror. I have the original Dark Water film where uh, a mother and her daughter move into an apartment and there are these mysterious leaks. And it's up to mom to figure out what's behind it all. It's a very nice uh, meditation on grief and loss as well. I also have... The Happiness of the Katakuris, which is essentially what happened. Like, if you love the the wild nature of Haosu, you're probably going to like this one. You have a family that runs a bed and breakfast up in the mountains, and people just start dying. And it's a musical. Hmm. Yes. I'm pretty sure that was uh, Takashi McKay. I also have Gaspar Noe's Climax. I know... A lot of people are not fans of Noe's intensity, to put it mildly. But this one is a, it, it's such a simple film, but it's more about the uh, technical execution where you have all of these students uh, getting together to do some kind of dance performance and... They come to find out that the sangria that they drank has been spiked with drugs, and then it's all downhill from there. It's a very tight 90 minutes or so. Solid soundtrack, very... Like, the back half is basically one take. A solid 40-45 minute take. And you're, you're just encased in this academy, and you go through all of the corridors and stuff and witness all of the atrocities that happen. So, and then of course you could argue, uh, how Sue and, uh, Suspiria, the original as well. And the original funny games, but those are my picks. Uh, my only pick for this one is, I'm not really sure if it counts as a horror film, but there's a lot of blood. So I'm going to count it um battle royale oh yeah totally counts Mm -hmm. yeah the japanese i remember seeing it in theater uh i saw it uh, at alamo actually back in 2013 the uh the director's cut version and it's 
at the same time really funny really intense and really dark like it's extremely dark comedy but uh, it's really well put together it has Takeshi beat Takeshi in it and that was my first introduction to his whole deal very offbeat personality of a human being yeah battle royale it's just a lot of bloody fun like it's it's a bunch of school kids that have to hunt each other so well it's like i think if i remember right all the troubled kids anyway so yeah battle royale is my across the pond i've i've got two actually uh one was a commission actually for me and it was kind of a fun one uh, ganjium haunted asylum which is a really nice uh, first of all, it occurs to me it's also a found footage movie, and it's just a really nice. I, I wasn't as high on it when I reviewed it, but I've kind of warmed up to it quite a bit in time. It's a just it's interesting. It's just kind of a it's a very cynical movie about the modern age of internet, like web shows and stuff like that, and content and all that. So you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's great. It's I really recommend this one. I was. I don't I don't have my review at hand so I think I was maybe a little more lukewarm on it than I am now but it stayed with me. Some movies you really don't need to write the review of as soon as you've seen them. Uh and this is one of them and of course of course I've got to have Gojira on this list. I have to. It's it's such an iconic classic. It's the most wrong review Roger Ebert has ever written. He uh he shredded it and he's wrong. It's not silly. It's one of the it's genius. We covered it on the cast. I love Gojira. It's it's a classic. Uh, next, we have Family Frights, films that you can uh, show the little the kids. Kitties. Yeah. Yes, the kitties. I won't be surprised if we're all just kind of going, well, we already covered that one on this list, but I have a few. So. Yeah. Oh, almost, because I do have Little Shop of Horrors yeah. on there. Scooby Doo, the 2002 movie. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. James Gunn. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Written anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Runaway Brain. This is Ooh. the... Yes. Yeah, I'm excited because I love this one so much. Yes. Uh, this is the only Disney pick on any of my lists, but you have Mickey Mouse being chased by an evil version of himself. Came out in the late 90s, I want to say. 1995. Yeah. Um, I saw it theatrically on A Kid in King Arthur's Court. And going from that short to that film... Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. ...was going straight off a goddamn cliff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was insane, yeah. Yeah, the the short itself has, I think, it's only been on home media once, and that was in, like, a, one of those uh, collectors, like the Walt Disney Treasures from the Vault. The things that came in the silver tins. Yes, those. Yes. Yeah, those. Because that's how I I came across it. But yeah, that one uh, definitely worth showing to the kids. And then Great Pumpkin. Gotta have Great Pumpkin. Yep, Charlie Brown. Nice and simple. And oddly enough, like I saw Manos, The Hands of Fate, not too long ago with a friend. And it occurred to me that you could easily swap soundtracks with that and great pumpkin because hmm. it has because hmm. it's like that light uh jazz that's kind of a funny idea <laughs> yeah like i'm not gonna lie the soundtrack for manos is actually is pretty great for what it's worth but yeah i would definitely have uh you know watch great pumpkin again 
just an absolute classic. Yeah, probably number one with a bullet on that list is Hocus Pocus. Because, like, you know, I know my generation revisits that year after year. And uh, I... I'm going to throw myself under the bus and say I hate that movie. <laughs> I'm going to throw myself on a separate bus and say I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I'm going to throw myself under a third bus and say I've probably only seen it twice in my life. But, <laughs> but you know, I thought I'd give it a mention just because it was... Like, it also kind of scared me, believe it or not. Despite it being like a straight Disney film, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> so it counts. Like, it, it's, it gets up there. Let's see. House with the Clock in Its Walls. The, the Eli Roth kids horror movie. Yeah, that one was interesting. <laughs> like, I... is Yeah, it was a bit, pardon the pun, off the walls. There are some legit creepy things in there. Like, you know, uh, Jack Black... As a baby, as a CG baby. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about that until you <laughs> mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Kyle McLaughlin does a damn, like he gives a pretty good performance in this one. He didn't have to do it, but he did it anyway. And <laughs> he didn't have to go that hard, but he did anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was a legit fun film to watch. And, you know, I, I could watch Jack Black in damn near anything. So, but yeah, there's, let's see, Goosebumps. Speaking of Jack Black, I legit have fun with this one. Like, I haven't seen the sequel and I didn't really read the Goosebumps books growing up, but watched a bit of the TV series. So it wasn't really my thing, but the movie had some good, has some good vibes to it, weirdly enough. And of course, I love the, the little nod at the end to the author where he plays a janitor named Jack Black and uh, him and Jack Black playing R.L. Stein acknowledge each other. That's great. <laughs> hey, Mr. Black. Hey, Mr. Stein. It's really great. I have much respect for R.L. Stein in my adult life, despite not, you know, despite being frankly scared of his books as a kid. Anyway, the goosebumps and gremlins too. Like, I, I technically, I guess, could have counted Gremlins as in the family category, but it belonged in other ones. This one is more of a family movie, just because it's not, it's really not in the least bit scary. And it's one that I didn't really appreciate until much later. Uh, upon first viewing, I thought it was just really dumb. But then, you know, I grew to appreciate what Joe Dante was trying to do, which was, all right, you want a sequel? I'll make it to where you won't make a Gremlins 3. You know, and he had his own fun with it inside that. This next one, uh, I wasn't sure whether to include in this list just because it's it kind of tips the edge a bit. It's probably more young adult than family, but it's scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. I only count it because it was a series of children's books. Right. Yeah, that I guess were that level of terrifying. But it makes a really good movie. They tie it all together into like one nice coherent thing. I, I It's a recommend. It's one I watched last Halloween. And the last two movies. Yeah, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Adams Family and Adams Family Values. Those are big growing up and still quote them, especially Gomez. He has your father's eyes. Take those out of his mouth. <laughs> Just the one liners in both films are astounding i love you know of course raul julia is the iconic gomez and uh 
it's one it's a performance that people still love and nobody's really been able to top of course christopher lloyd i eternally love you know christopher lloyd and both films are about his character which i also kind of love yeah there's a lot i could say about these two films but they're great and i could watch them forever and i will so those are my family frights in the in the making of this list, I kind of had this category in mind, if only for uh, stuff for Austin to choose from for when Lola is exactly. the right age. Here's the bizarre thing about Lola: she is extremely skittish. She is extremely afraid of like just about everything. She Amanda loves to watch true crime and stuff, and Lola, uh-uh, she'll lose it. Then we discovered that she's a huge Five Nights at Freddy's fan. Ha. <laughs> It's like, what the <laughs> hell, kid? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? What? Yeah. What? What the actual hell, Lola? Like, I, I can't do uh, Five Nights at Freddy's just because I developed a really bad uh, aversion to uh, jump scares as a very small child. Yeah, Lola loves that shit. She'll sit there on her tablet and just watch it for hours. Oh man. So go figure, go figure. Um, Five Nights at Freddy's baffles me as something kids love because uh, it is a series about killing kids in the most horrible way. Yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, so that's very strange. Yeah, because like I go to like Meyer or whatever, and I see you know Five Nights at Freddy's shirts for kids, even even in the off season, and I'm just like. Who is this for? It's immensely popular, though. What's happening? But here's my choices. I'm just going to really kind of shoot through mine because mine are classic and vintage. You know, Paranorman, Coraline, Monster House. Thank you. Oh, my God. Those three obvious Nightmare Before Christmas, of course. And then again, I would kind of get the kid going on some classic Twilight Zone, too. That was an early favorite for me. So, yeah. So there's that stuff. Nice. Let's get into uh, cult classics because a number of our picks could easily be defined as cult classics, but these are ones that really don't fit in either category really neatly or are just in a general horror sense that they're iconic. For mine, I have a Mario Bava's Black Sunday, which you could, I guess, count as an across the pond but but you have uh this witch who comes back from the grave and starts to uh terrorize people it's super atmospheric really great cinematography there and i wish more people had a chance to sit down and watch that carnival of souls it's just a beautiful beautiful film it's like between that the blob the original and and those effects and then Cats 2019. <laughs> you put that in your horror. Now, in my defense, there were some outlets that put Cats 2019 on their lists as well. So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, but it's I definitely embrace the chaotic nature of that one and how baffling it is because it exists. We all have to deal with it. Hashtag release the butthole cut. Yes, please release the butthole cut. And it was one of those films that just happened before, you know, coronavirus became super big. Just before. Yeah, just before. 
this was also pitched to families, ostensibly, because as far as I know, it's only like a PG, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, did not see that one coming. There we go. Yes. Get out. There you go. Like, you that's go. that will eternally be one. It's really great. A lot can be said about it. I forget whether we've cast it on it. We did. We did good. Okay. But yeah, get out. It's great. Uh, Oculus is one that I saw a few years ago, and it it's one that got under my skin for at least a few days because I used to. I, I mean, I still do, but now there's another person in the room with me, so it's okay. But I used to have in my old apartment two closets uh, with mirrors on them. And uh, Oculus is about a killer mirror that basically illusions people to death. And that description doesn't sound very frightening, but oh, it is to just to like for something to trick you into doing something only you're actually doing another thing. Oh, that scares me. But yeah, no, that's that's. That's one that got under my skin, so that makes the list. Blit, of course, us. One last one on this. Uh, it just came out a couple of years ago, so I don't know if it counts as a cult classic or not, but it doesn't fit into any other category. I mean, I put Cats 2019 on there, so... Well, there you go, then. One that uh, Tab and I just caught on Hulu this past year is Vivarium. Which is really good and really unsettling. It's extremely unsettling. That bothered me for a solid weekend. Just like a, just this this thing that you can't escape from. Like you really got kind of go into it not knowing too much about it, but it's it'll get under your skin, uh, guaranteed. So it's it's very existential horror and just cold. Like the antagonist, I guess you'd call it, in the film. Like the whole thing is cold. So yeah, those are those are mine. Yeah, mine. Um, I'm gonna go with just a, a single pick here for mine, but it's one that I think is just a tremendous cult classic, Chopping Mall. Ah, yeah, yes, I adore Chopping Mall. Um, uh, it's because it's one of those rare cases where, when you hear the premise, you're not prepared for actually how wild it's going to be. Like a lot of movies in the '80s had really great posters, and then of course were nothing like them. Mm-hmm. Chopping Mall is nothing like its poster because it's way more insane than its poster. And there's a reason for that. It was originally sold under the title Killbots. And I, one of my, you know, of course, y'all know that I do a lot of research into old movie ads. When I found the one theater in the country where it was tested under that title, I felt like I had cracked a code. Uh, it is, of course, a movie about killer security robots going insane at a shopping mall and killing people that have been that have stayed there overnight. Uh, it's only about 80 minutes. It's super short. It's quick. And there's not an ounce of fat on it. I think the thing that really elevates it is the location they shot it in. It was shot in an authentic shopping mall. Hmm. I've had to have been. Yeah, it's, it's shot in an authentic location. So it. It feels better. It feels more real. And it's fantastic. The makeup effects are great. The special effects are just tremendous in it. It's awesome. And it's from director Jim Wynorski, who, if you look up his filmography, it's not only bad movies, it's the worst of the bad movies. But he has this one little jewel on it, 
So, yeah, Chopping Mall. I love it. It's my pick. I would uh, also go ahead and throw in Jennifer's Body. Which has really found its audience. Oh, yeah. Next one is uh, Hidden Gems. The uh, Some of the lesser known, more obscure picks out there. I've got a number of these, so I'm going to go last. Well, I have about three. Let's see. I'll I'll go with a recent one that I saw. Uh, 2001's 13 Ghosts with Tony Shalhoub in the lead. And uh, yeah, that's what I hadn't seen. And it's very creatively done. And of course, you know, Matthew Lillard also playing crazy like he does best. Yeah, it's a very creative premise and uh, very fun to watch. And it's... Yeah, it's 2001 horror. It's very much of its age. Krampus? Yeah, you know, it's sort of a... Christmas and Halloween really love to mix, don't they? They really do. Yeah, for some weird reason. Hey, I dig it. Um, Yeah, Krampus. Just about, you know, the legend of Krampus and what happens when, you know, one family falls into Krampus territory and have they've got to be krampus Uh This... It's a very bad description of it, but it's really enjoyable. It's the effects are top notch and they're like kind of half CG, half practical. The effects are, of course, done by Peter Jackson's company, Weta Digital. Mm-hmm. They're they're always good when they work on a film. Yeah, it's all I can say. Just just watch Krampus. It's real good. Let's see. My last one is another one that got under my skin. I watched it. Velvet Buzzsaw from the director of Nightcrawler. And the star of Nightcrawler, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal. And it's also got uh, Dovey Diggs from Hamilton in it. And it's uh, it's killer art. And it's one of those things where, like, the uh, the malevolent force behind, like, what's killing everybody is just... It's unkillable. You can't shake it, get rid of it. If you've slighted it, you're going to die. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <sighs> Yeah, it's on Netflix for a good creep. So, yeah, that's that's my last my last little recommend. I've only got one. Um, it's one that I wrote up for the site actually, and it's a film that I've been fascinated by for a long time. And I'd even seen the original as well. Uh, Night of the Demons Two is my pick, and it's because I think this is the really great underseen 1990s horror movie. The first one's really great too, and it's more seen as a classic as it should be. But man, that, that second one is just a real trip. It's a really weird, really ambitious movie. Um, it was supposed to go direct to video. And at the last minute, uh, they said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do just a really limited theatrical release, which is how I first heard of it. And then they would, and then on top of that, they did a, uh, they gave them money to do reshoots for the ending, which really pays off because it has a really great ending. This is just a good old school horror movie at a time when they weren't making them at all. And uh, it's uh, Brian Trenchard Smith directed it. Um, I read his memoir last Thanksgiving. Uh, it's wonderful, by the way. And it's just a lot of fun. I really love this one. So that's my pick. Uh, mine. Oh, boy. I've got a number of these. First, I have Sally Cruikshank's Face Like a Frog, where it's her animation, but also teaming up with Oingo Boingo with song led by a lizard version of Danny Elfman. 1953's uh, version of The Telltale Heart, done by UPA Studios. Super 
super atmospheric as well. 1991's The Sandman, stop motion, uh, which the titular Sandman visits a child in the most horrifying way possible. And it is legit terrifying because, yeah, yeah, that one can easily be found on YouTube. And uh, the director for this, uh, Paul Barry, uh, would go on to work on James and the Giant Peach. And you can kind of see a similar style. Ended up uh, watching that in one of my college animation classes. And yeah, that just kind of stayed with me for a while. 1955's Dementia, which is almost like a silent version of Carnival of Souls. Uh, not a single word of dialogue is spoken. It's just the score and some of the noises. And you have this poor woman on Skid Row being chased around by something, but you're not quite sure what it is. I, I do wish more people had had a chance to see that one. Uh, 2001's documentary, Hell House, which goes into a group of people putting on a Christian haunted house. Yeah. And some of the goings on. And now, now keep in mind, this is like 2001. Yeah. And some of the stuff that they include would absolutely not fly today. Nor what, nor did it back, no. back then. One of the scenes that they include is a school shooter scene. Wow. And given how close it was to Columbine. That's unreal. Yeah. Like you see people auditioning for different parts and you have them. It's like, you know, I, I think I might want to try uh, family violence this year. Just saying it in the most matter of fact way. It's, yeah. Damn. And. Like, the whole thing also plays off like a version of, like, a serious waiting for Guffman. Um, there is one sequence where they try and replicate a pentagram and trying to get the colors right. But when the camera re reveals it, it's uh, it's got six sides. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Also, a brief sequence where they can't uh, figure out what Magic the Gathering is actually called. <laughs> but yeah, this and uh, there's another one in our final category that shares similar theme in terms of blaming women. Yeah, you and I are going to be talking about that one. Yeah. Yeah, because there's also a scene where you have person who plays a an abuse victim go through the stages and ending up killing themselves which in doctrine means you're automatically going to hell because you took your own life but people weren't too thrilled about that because there is an encounter with the house director and some teens about how that was portrayed and yeah it's it's currently on YouTube. It's not one a lot of people hear about. It, it's essentially a counterpart to the more well-known Jesus Camp documentary from the same period. Or actually before, my apologies, it came out a couple of years before Jesus Camp. Still terrifying, though. Yeah, and Jesus Camp is one that I have 
never been able to bring myself to watch. Yeah. From what research I have done, the house is still in operation, but it's been closed due to COVID. So, yay. Nether Beast Incorporated. This one almost plays out like a prototype of what we do in the shadows, but in in an office setting. Yeah, it's vampires in corporate America and them trying to uh, deal with uh, outsiders that try to come in and apply for positions. <laughs> Has a uh, Jason Muse from uh, Jay yeah. and Silent Bob, of course. Uh, Daryl Hammond, uh, Judd Nelson, and our protagonist. Our protagonist is none other than Steve Burns. Blue's Clues Steve. Hmm. Hmm. As a vampire. Nice. Yes. And then my final one is a Sundance short documentary. Uh, the S from Hell, uh, done by Rodney Asher, who would go on to do the Shining Conspiracy documentary, Room 237, and then follow that up with the Sleep Paralysis documentary, The Nightmare. Uh, this one details the alleged horrors caused by, or that were put upon uh, traumatized children from the 60s because of the Screen Gems logo. And I know that premise sounds Really far-fetched, but it's... That's very odd, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it is very odd, but it, it there's a whole subculture behind that. I was a part of it in, in my youth. Yeah, if you ever do, like, just Google or just look up you, on YouTube scary logos, uh, you'd be surprised what scares people shitless. Hmm. I'm doing that right as we speak. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very weird subculture, but I get it. Okay. Rankin Bass is on here. <laughs> yeah, Rankin Bass, uh, the Viacom V of Doom, uh, THX for obvious reasons. The audience is now deaf. The PBS yes. logo is on here. The Metro Goldwyn Mayer, Paramount, the CBS Eye. I get because it's it's an eye. Yeah, David Lehrman has made fun of it and often calls it uh, often called it the creepy CBSI. <laughs> yeah, huh. yeah, th yeah. There, there. It's a fascinating rabbit hole if you ever get a chance to just huh dive into it. But yeah, yeah. Those are my my picks. And then to wrap this up, we have our non recommendations. Albert, why don't you go first? Because Zephyr and I are going to dovetail on one. So why don't okay. you go first? I have exactly one. And this category is Abandon All Hope Ye Who Enter Here. Which is going to be very fitting in a moment. But Albert, mm. go. Yes. Um, so <sighs> mine's a short film. It's called Treevenge. Um, yeah, I just didn't find that funny at all. I didn't either. It's supposed to be a comedy. Like it was like well made for what it was, but I guess in just the fact that it tried to be really funny, it was too disturbing. It was way too disturbing. And it's one that I just walked away going, no, 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 no. Like, 
but when you mix horror and comedy, like they mix very well, except when you push it a little too far. <laughs> that one pushed it, at least for my taste, a little too far. It wasn't aware of how disturbing it was, I think is the thing. I think so. It it was just like watching somebody like gleefully like go nuts and just be kind of unaware uh of surroundings while everybody everybody just slowly backs away yeah you know i don't know if that's a real good example but of the feeling that it gives off but it's just kind of a okay i'm gonna be over here and just shiver in a corner now but yeah some of the i don't want to get too much into just how disturbing it is but the final shot is uh, a tree stepping on and splattering a baby yeah it, it's it, it kind of doesn't understand that that's not funny no it's really not and it's like you know people do but the basic premise is people do a bunch of stuff to trees uh that nobody ever does to trees i'm sorry this is nobody too... rapes a tree no, this is too far out there. Nobody just throws a tiny tree on the ground and kicks it for fun. These are not things people do to trees. And then the trees get their revenge on it's... people just in one Christmas, you know, and it's, oh, no, 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 no. It's ugly. It's very, it's a very ugly, mean-spirited little film, and I hate it. So there you go. That's my, that's my avoid at all costs. Yeah, we have to do this. Okay, let's do it, Austin. Well, I'm going to, because I was the one that had the initial fixation on this film, I was really fascinated by the idea of a Christian grindhouse movie. The concept of a Christian grindhouse film is just so bizarre, because how in the hell would that work? I mean, it exists. It's (laughs) called The Passion of the Christ. Yes, yes, yes. Um, But how, how would this movie work? Could it work? Would it work? Now that I've seen House, I watched it now a couple of years ago. I am still morbidly fascinated by this film. I have a long review of it up on the website, and we will link to it. This is a movie where it's actually, I think, reasonably well made. They have a really good, it's actually got a very good cast, bizarrely enough. A lot of the actors in it are actual Grindhouse veterans. A lot of them are Rob Zombie veterans, for example. So it knows who to draw from. It knows the atmosphere is not that bad, uh, even though it's really kind of cheaply shot. It's a little overlit, actually. But it has atmosphere. But Jesus Christ, this movie's morals are just warped and broken beyond repair. What the hell is wrong with this movie? Yes. Uh, To be clear, this is House uh, 2007, not to be confused with the House or the other uh, the 86 house. one. Yeah, the 86 one and the sequel. Which is, the 86 one is actually a very good uh, meditation on uh, PTSD from Vietnam. It's actually pretty good. No, this is not that. This is a very different film, and it is sick in the head, is the only way to describe it. Because one of the key themes of the movie is that it's about these four people who are at this house that is obviously limbo anybody who was watching this movie can see that coming from a mile away and they are forced to confront the evils that they did in their lives except for a really fun fact 
Nobody in this movie is really actually that guilty of having done anything bad. Did you notice that, Zephyr? I, I've pretty much put the film out of my mind, except for a few key sequences, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. But yeah, they didn't really do anything too terrible in, in the grand scheme of things. Like two of the characters killed abusive family members, but they were abusive. It's the, 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 uh, like the man that killed, he killed his father in an accident while hunting. And the dad was, you know, an abusive, violent hunter and all that. Okay. That's not that bad. Yeah. And it was an accident too, which, you know, but it's what they did to her. She killed her molester. And everything about this thread is horrifying. It's twisted. Because first of all, she's the most sexualized woman in the film. The other woman is very chaste. Her, it's lots of cleavage shots. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's really... And then at one point, she's dolled up to look like a little girl. Mm -hmm. Oh, fuck you. It's... I... Yeah, it's bad. The movie implies it's her fault that she was molested. Pretty point blank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that she was wrong to have killed her attacker. Again, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, this is a bad movie. Yeah, it's... I don't know how or why this got made. But just the, the idea of being blamed for killing your abuser... And, and then placing all of that guilt on you and then, you know, being blamed for being abused in the first place. It's like, what, what the, f what the fuck are you actually doing? It's a case where the movie ironically succeeds at being what it wants to be, but for the wrong reasons. Cause yeah, it gets to that exploitation feeling. It, it ain't because of the atmosphere or anything like that. Even though, as I said, that was pretty good, actually. It's because the movie is just sick. This is a gross movie, and I don't regret watching it, though, simply because I've been dined out on being fascinated by it for the last two years. Yeah, it, it was also on my my list of do not recommend, but yeah, mostly the same reasons why. It could, like, the idea of Christian Grindhouse, yeah, it's an odd idea, but you could argue we have examples of it. I mean, ju just look at If Footmen Tire You. That easily counts, That's I, totally I'd say. That's totally a Christian movie. Yeah. I could watch that. I could watch that shit every day, I swear. Yeah. I love it. I mean, and you can have Christian horror be extremely good. Hell, you can have it be the greatest horror ever. The Exorcist is a deeply Catholic movie. It could have worked. But this movie has such broken morals. Yeah. And then part of it, too, is like, you know, you don't want to scare off your audience. But at the same time, if you're not willing to actually, you know, get out of your comfort zone and discuss these difficult topics, the film itself is going to fail. Because there are other horror films within Christian-released media that exists, like, what was it, The Visitation? Yeah. Which I've not seen, but I've actually read that book, and that's actually a pretty damn good book. It's actually a really great book. I actually really dug that thing. Yeah. 
uh, in fact, Frank Peretti, who co-wrote House, had a number of books that I actually really liked. This Present Darkness is amazing. I love, um, what was it? Uh, The Oath is really good. Or no, The Oath wasn't him. Or was it? Yeah, no, The Oath was him. Yeah. I think so. The point is, he's he's a good writer. I like him. Not this shit. Yeah. And I can't even blame the co-writer, because come to think of it, the co-writer is Ted Decker. And he's a good writer. I don't know what the hell happened here. I'm not entirely sure either, because I do recognize those names. They are very, very, very good writers. Uh, they have had mainstream success, even. Uh, Decker actually writes as much non-Christian stuff as he does Christian. He's 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 a he's a very good writer. Also, Decker is willing. Here's the crazy thing: Decker had a character in one of his books who was extremely addicted to drugs, extremely sexually promiscuous, and she was really a grand heroine in the books because Decker dealt with the idea that she had been forgiven. So, like, I know he could not do this, and Peretti isn't. He's not prone to this shit. I don't know what the hell happened. Because this is all in the book. It just got played up in the movie, I feel like. I don't know. Like, if that scene itself were excised and, like, either excised or rewritten, could this actually be a good movie? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Because as I said, it's good cast. Uh, even the woman who played the uh, molestation victim has gone on to a lot of good stuff. She's in Preacher, ironically. Yeah, mine, my picks. Uh, oh boy. I Spit on Your Grave, the original, not the remake trilogy or the well-belated sequel to the original. No, the... Who is this for? Uh, I don't know. Who... Who wanted to see I Spit on Your Grave, or Day of the Woman, as it's actually called? Uh, I don't know. It's ugly. It It is ugly, as well as, like, you have one of the four rapists in the film be characterized as disabled in some some fashion, and the only one to not climax as well, which plays into the film yeah it's baffling also not good mother darren aronofsky's most recent film i just want to like move along from that one because i don't even want to discuss it i don't know what he was thinking with mother he definitely took risks because this was released under fucking paramount and played to mainstream audiences i don't know why it had to exist the remake of Dark Water with uh, Jennifer Connelly and John C. Riley of all people, which is atrocious. Yeah, it, yeah, the remake is pretty bad. Uh, I mean, John C. Riley can do horror, as we see in uh, "We Need to Talk About Kevin" with Tilda Swinton. He can do it. Well, here's what's weird: he's in it. So is Tim Roth. Both of them are. Bigger names than the than the movie deserves, so surely they've got to be the bad guys in some way. No, they're just in it, and they're useless. Yeah, because this was also in in the height of the Americanization of Asian horror remakes, because we had uh, The Ring and The Grudge, and then this came along, and yeah, yeah, it's bad. 
It sure fucking existed, I tell you what. And then my last pick is the Poughkeepsie Tapes. A movie that is one of only two movies to, to hold this title, where I saw the trailer for it in a theater, and then the movie never came out theatrically. And it barely came out on video. Yeah. Tab and I tried to watch that one and couldn't really get through the first 10 minutes. It It's bad on a storytelling level and on a technical level as well. Yeah, it just wasn't impressive at all. <laughs> it wasn't grabbing us. Because ideally, this is supposed to be a found footage snuff film. Yeah, it hypes itself up way too much, I think. It really does. For e not just the payoff, but for just anything in the film. Like the uh, the only thing I can point to, you know, again, only watched like the first 10, 15 minutes is where like, you know, the guy is showing his class, like his college class, these snuff film things. And then the class goes, ah, and he's like, yeah, I know. It's like, oh, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, just you don't get to you don't get to claim you're any better. Don't you're, even you're showing the shit. Shut up. Yeah. Like, it starts off with, I want to say, balloon fucking? Ballooning. Ballooning. Yeah, that. But against some really, really atrocious Final Cut Pro effects. And then, like, the rest of the film is set in widescreen, despite the fact that the air, like, the time that the film is supposed to be set in should have been 4-3. Yes. Which bothered me to no end yeah that's laziness yeah i mean chalk it up to blair witch project at least getting that part right well, for love god even on cloverfield which was a big budget studio well reasonably big budget studio film tj miller still shot like a good portion of that film because they were actually committed to the found footage bit yeah yeah uh i definitely do not recommend watching the poughkeepsie tapes at all avoid at all costs the fact that it literally got a trailer before i am legend and then never came out is a pretty bad review yeah well on that note i hope uh, we've given you all plenty of things to watch or revisit <laughs> nice horror discussion uh just a real real quick brief rundown uh you can find us at theomniplex.org email us comments suggestions anything the omniplex podcast at gmail.com you know we are on twitter at the omniplex facebook the omniplex yeah that's that's it check out you know our sister show the order of the snoot we just did bob's burgers we're about to do malcolm in the middle i think so yeah stay scared everybody yes, yes. farewell bye, -bye. <laughs>